0: Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. Honestly, the only way we ever adopt something in our lives is when we see how it's going to help us or how it's going to benefit us. We pursue higher education because we think it will advance our career or we exercise because we know it's going to help our health and make us feel better. It's no different with spiritual things. For instance, we don't really put a premium on fearing God until we see how it benefits us. The fear of the Lord sounds ominous and foreboding, but actually it's not. It's really an amazing delight. From the fear of the Lord comes wisdom, the ability to problem solve, the gift of seeing the big picture and being a strategist and a host of other things. So listen in and see how the fear of the Lord can benefit you. We're going to start in the last two verses. By the way, we've been taking several months going through Isaiah. We're just in in chapter 11 right now. But we're going to read the last two verses of Isaiah chapter 10 uh, so that you'll know what Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 and 2 are talking about. So if that makes sense, start with me in Isaiah chapter 10 verse 33. And I'm going to read here. It says, See, the Lord Almighty will lop off the boughs of With great power. The lofty trees will be felled and the tall ones will be brought low. Okay, so he's talking about this forest. And they're going to go through and start chopping down all these trees, these mighty trees in this forest. They're going to start cutting them down so that you don't see a forest anymore. All you see is the, the stumps of the trees, okay? Verse 34, he says, He will cut down the forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. I was watching a documentary. I've watched several things on YouTube and documentaries about Lebanon. And there's a big old forest in Lebanon, cedars of Lebanon. They're big, massive trees. Some of them, was it over 1,000 years old? 2,000. Can you imagine seeing a tree that's 2,000 years old? Massive, and and here the uh, Isaiah is talking about the the Lebanon, the trees in Lebanon, as an example of going through that forest and cutting them down. Then, in chapter eleven, verse one, it says, "A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, the stump of Jesse, and the roots." from the from his roots a branch will be fruit, will will bring forth fruit have you ever know, have you ever seen a a plant or something that's cut down and from the little stump starts coming up little sprigs of little branches it's saying all of those stumps are going to remain dead but there's going to be one stump that's going to come back again it's going to come back again. And so see, God was judging Israel. I'm not going to go into all the details that we've been covering over the last several months and weeks. But God was judging Israel for their wickedness. But from that that judgment, that punishment that God was going to bring forth, he was going to give hope. And I want to tell you, if you're going through a hard time, God has hope for you. If you're going through a dry time, God has hope for you. I was talking to somebody the other day and they were telling me, I just feel dry inside my spiritual. I just feel dry. I know I've felt dry before. God wants to water your heart. He wants to give you hope again. He wants to give you life again. Don't ever give up on God because God is never going to give up on you ever. He's never going to give up on you. So. Isaiah starts in with a prophecy about the stump of Jesse. Now, if you wonder, what's the stump of Jesse? What's that all about? Well, Jesse was the father of King David. And when you talk, when, when the Bible talks about Jesse, through the lineage of King David came Jesus and so when it speaks of this branch that will bear fruit, it was speaking of the lineage of Jesse, who was the father of King David, the second king of Israel, who then had several generations, and Jesus was born from that generation. And to this day, Jesus changes this world. He changes lives. There's hope for us because of the branch of the stump of Jesse. And so here, a prophecy begins to be described of Jesus, of Jesus, okay? So it says, it it refers to him, but it's referring to Jesus. So, So read with me in verse two, it says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Will rest on who? Rest on Jesus. The spirit of the Lord will rest on Jesus. The spirit of wisdom Listen to this. There's six things here. A spirit of wisdom and of understanding. A spirit of counsel and of might. A spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. And today we're going to be talking about delighting in. In the fear of the Lord, delighting in the fear of the Lord, I'll read on though in verse three, He will delight Jesus, that is will delight in the fear of the Lord, he will not judge based on what he sees with his eyes, but will judge based on what he hears or or what he hears with his ears he will not judge, um, excuse me, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with a rod of his mouth, and with a breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be uh, his belt. Remember, have you ever heard the, the, uh, the uh, sword of the spirit, the shield of faith? It also speaks of uh, uh, the, the, the belt of truth. The, the helm, is it the helmet, of, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth? Wow, here it's talking of that, that the, the, um, come on, the, uh, the armor of the spirit, right? The armor of the spirit. Thank you very much. All right, he's speaking. And he says the, uh, that, that this righteousness, uh, he'll wear it as a, as a belt. Faithfulness is a, a sash around his waist. Now look, look at this picture. The wolf will lay down with a lamb. The predator, look at all these predators that are mentioned here. What are predators nowadays? I was taking a walk this morning. I was praying a little bit, and I was hearing gunfire in the background. And I don't know. It sounded like it was routine, like somebody maybe was practicing, but I'm, I live in a neighborhood. I don't know why anybody would be practicing shooting their weapon. There's a lot of predators nowadays. There's a lot of reasons to be scared now, nowadays nowadays right? I think I keep mentioning Afghanistan. I can't imagine living in Afghanistan right now. I can't imagine the, the predators that we hear about there with the Taliban in Afghanistan. I can't imagine living there. These women who, who for 20 years now have been pulled out of obscurity, pulled out of a lack of education, pulled out of poverty, given a chance, and now all of that is being crushed again. What a tragedy but look at these predators the wolf will lay down with a lamb the leopard will lay down with a goat the calf with a lion the yearling and the yearling together a little child will lead them the cow will feed with a the bear there's another predator the young will lie, their their young will lie down together the lion will eat straw with the ox look, look at that the lion won't eat animals. It'll eat straw with ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put their hand on the viper's nest. Just a few weeks ago, I think I mentioned this, we killed a rattlesnake in our backyard that was probably four or five feet long. Big old thing, man. I got a big old block and I landed it on top of the snake. Then I took a big old saw-like tool that we have and I cut off its head and it gave me great pleasure. All right, Can you imagine a child reaching their hand into a rattlesnake pit and not being harmed? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't life be wonderful if predators could no longer hurt you anymore? Isn't that what we all long for in this earth is peace of mind, peace of heart, where there's no fear? They neither will harm nor destroy on all of my holy mountain. Where is this going to happen? On God's holy mountain. (laughs) <laughs> For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. You say, you might say to yourself, I don't know God very well. In fact, you might say to yourself, I don't know God at all. Someday the knowledge of God will fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. God won't be an enigma anymore. He won't be a mystery anymore. He won't be a question mark anymore. You will know God through and through. Let me tell you something. You can know God right now. You don't have to wait for that day and age. The, the age that comes after the age that we're in. When God is mighty, he's powerful, he's, he's in charge of this earth. You don't have to wait to know him until that day. You can know him right now. You can delight in the fear of the Lord right now. And I want to show you how. <laughs> All right, so it says, we're going to go back to verse 2. It says, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Wouldn't you like to feel God's presence? Have you ever been to the place where you say, God, I don't even feel you. I don't even know who you are. Wouldn't you like the Spirit of God to come down and rest on you, and you be with God, and God be with you All day, every day, all night, every night, and never have a single doubt in your mind. And literally know his presence is with you. Beyond a feeling, know it. Well, it says here, the spirit of God will rest on him. What does it mean for the spirit to come and rest on us? It means to settle down and remain. I don't want to just know God is with me today. I want to know that he's going to be with me tomorrow and the next day and the next week and the next month and the next year and all the way through the time when I pass on. I want to know that God is with me. It says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Well, what what spirit is this? Well, it gives six things. Remember, I mentioned them. The spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. All right? And, and so to say that the spirit is with you, uh, it, it means that God is going to get into your heart and part of his personality is going to take over part of your personality. You know the bad part of your personality, the part that you wish you could get rid of, the swearing part, the angry part, the addictive part, the mean part, the angry part, the bipolar part? Did you know God's person can come in? His personality can come in. His spirit can come, come on you, and it becomes you become a different person. I want to give you hope today. You can be different from who you are today you can be a different person from who you are. And so for the spirit of the Lord to come on us, is, it means an aspect of God becomes part of our personality. There's a verse in 2 Timothy 1.7 that we, many of us probably already know. If you don't know it, listen to this. You're really going to like it. It says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or of cowardice or of fear, but he has given us a spirit of power, of love and of sound judgment and personal discipline. That's the abilities that result from a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. Another way of saying this is God's given you a spirit of mental health. He's given you a spirit of having a sound mind, not one that goes back and forth, up and down and all over the place. God has not given you a spirit of cowardice, of fear. He's given you a spirit. In other words, he's given you a spirit that's going to change who you are. You're going to go from timid to brave. You're going to go from fearful to fearless. You're going to go from powerless to powerful. You're going to go from hatred to love and patience. God wants to change you, and his spirit comes down and rests on you, and you become a different person as a result, all right? So, here we go. There's, there's six things, and we're going to kind of start from the top. And let me just mention this. If God gives you something, what do you have to do in order to get what he's given you? You've got to receive it. You've got to open up your spiritual hand and say, God, put it right here. And if you put it in my hand, I'm going to take it. I'm going to appropriate it. If I came and tried to give you a hundred bucks and you didn't open your hand to take it, it would just fall to the ground and it'd go to waste and someone else would get it. That's what happens to you and me with God all the time. We don't take what he gives us. Receive it. If If he tells you that you're special, receive it, that you're a special person. If he tells you that he loves you, receive his love for you. Don't say, oh, but I'm such a bad person. Stop it already. Stop talking about what a bad person you are. And if God says he loves you, take his love and receive it and appropriate. If God says he's going to provide for your needs, take it in advance before you see it and say, my needs are already taken care of. I'm, I'm good to go. All right, do you see what I mean? Faith takes hold of what God gives you And you take it and you receive it. So we got to do that. When he lets his spirit rest on you, receive his Holy Spirit into you. Receive it. So a spirit of wisdom. What is a spirit of wisdom? That's the first one that we're mentioning to be very specific. There's this verse in 1 Chronicles 12.32 that I want to share with you. It's going to be up here on the screen. It says, Of the tribe of Issachar, there's men who understood the times. We're asking what ourselves, asking ourselves, what is the spirit of wisdom? They understood the times, with knowledge of what Israel should do. Two hundred chiefs and all of their relatives were at their command. What is a spirit of wisdom? This verse puts it into three pieces. What is a spirit of wisdom? First of all, it's understanding what the times we're in right now. You know, it's okay for somebody who grew up in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s to share their wisdom. But you know what? Times have changed. (laughs) You know, we're no longer in a time of prohibition, all right, back in the 30s. No, we're in a time where there's drug addicts all over the place. There's pushers all over the place. They're in schools. If you're not careful to get into your car, (laughs) We talked about that this morning, for those of you that were here. All right? The times have changed. And the way we got to deal with these times is different from how we would have dealt with the times back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. The times have changed. A spirit of wisdom is going to understand what times we're in right now. And secondly, what we need to do about them. The men of Issachar understood the times and what Israel should do. Have you ever been in a family situation and you're like, I have no idea what to do. I am lost. I am clueless. Have you ever been in a job situation, maybe with your boss, and you don't know what to do? You need a spirit of wisdom. You need a spirit of revelation. You need Jesus to come and show you what the times that you're in are and what you need to do. And you notice also with these men of Issachar that there were 200 chiefs. All right? You know what men of wisdom and women of wisdom do? They take charge of the situation. They take over. (laughs) They're leaders. They're influencers. And don't you let all your little insecurities keep you from being a spiritual leader in your situation. Stand up and be a man or woman of God and take the bull by the horns and do what needs to be done. Stop waiting around for someone else to do it. You be the person that stands up and be a leader. All right? Have a spirit of wisdom come down on you. Stop beating yourself up. If God tells you you can do it, you can do all things through God who gives you strength. Stop being a spiritual wimp. God hasn't given you a spirit of timidity. He's given you a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Now go do something with it. All right? Stop waiting around and go do what God has called you to do. That's what Joseph did. We're talking about a spirit of wisdom. Look at these three things in his example. He had been in prison. He was a convict. He was a felon. Yeah, He was put there inappropriately. It wasn't his fault. But in that society, in that community, he was a felon. What happened? He was pulled out of prison and put immediately in the presence of Pharaoh. The Bible says that he had to shave. He had to put some clothes on. But he was still a prisoner. And he went and stood before the Pharaoh, interpreted the Pharaoh's dreams, and he had these three things. He understood the times, he understood what to do, and he took the leadership role to go do something about it. You're going to read about it if you get our text this week. Look at this, a spirit of wisdom. God wants you, he doesn't want you to be spiritually ignorant. He wants you to be spiritually savvy and know what to do. All right? A spirit of understanding, that's the second thing. That that Jesus has, and I'm going to explain to you. If Jesus has it, you have it as well. We're going to get to that in just a second. But God wants to give you a spirit of understanding. What is a spirit of understanding? That's that's. Have you ever been? Let's say you you you're about to lose your job, or you have the opportunity to get another job, and you have three options. I could go take a job over here. I could move out of town. I could take this job, or I could go do this job. A spirit of understanding knows which door you're supposed to go through. It's a problem solver. A spirit of understanding is someone who can solve problems. All right? Many of us are faced with problems. In fact, I want you to think of your problem right now and say, hmm, I wonder how I can solve that problem. It might be a financial problem, a marriage problem, a kid problem, a school problem, a job problem. I don't know what your problem is. We all have them, though, but God wants to give you a spirit of understanding so you can start solving your problems. A spirit of understanding. Did you know I, I work full-time in, in business, and I've found this to be true, that most business problems are people problems. It's not some systems problem or money problem. No. There's people in there, and they're causing the problem in the business. Well, that goes in a marriage as well. Most marriage problems, in fact, all marriage problems are people problems. All right? If you have financial problems, guess what? There's a people problem there. (laughs) If, If there's a child problem or drug problem, there's a people problem. So when you start talking about going and solving a problem, you're talking about, most of the time, solving a people problem. And God wants to give you a spirit of understanding. He wants to make you brave enough to say, I'll handle the people problem. Give it to me, God. I'll go tackle it with your help, and I'll go, we'll go solve it together. God wants you to be brave enough to give you a spirit of understanding to go solve problems. Stop waiting around for someone else to fix the problem. You go fix the problem. You go do something about it. You go confront who needs to be confronted in love, Go counsel who needs to be counseled in love. Go, go show yourself. Go do something for God right now and solve a problem. You need to be energetic enough to get down on your knees and pray for the problem. God wants to give you the energy to pray for problems. Uh, here's, here's something I've been learning this week, and I've been practicing this this week, is I need and you need to be God-confident enough to declare this every morning. God, you're going to solve all my problems. That's the first thing I've been, I wake up in the morning this week, I've been opening my eyes, and that's the first declaration that I make. I say, God, you are going to solve all my problems. That's courageousness. That's God confidence in saying, I may not be able to do it, but you can. And God, go ahead and involve me and give me the courage to help you solve that problem too. I want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. All right. I've been memorizing this scripture in Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? That's some gutsiness. That's some spirit of understanding. That's saying, you know what? I can do anything with God's help. God is my helper. Now, I want to just share this little tidbit. This has helped me so much. I don't know if it'll help you, but just listen in just for a second. You know what? People, if I'm a Christian, people can't do anything to me to harm me. They can't do anything. Because it says right here, what can mortal men do to me? Men can't do anything to me. They can only do what I let them do, all right? They might harm me on the outside, but they can't touch my soul. They can't make me a fearful person. What can men do to me? Well, here's, here's my statement. People can't do anything to me, but here's another insightful thing. People can't do anything for me either. Men can't do anything to me, and they can't do anything for me. Who can do something for me? only God. Let's get our eyes off of people and let's get our eyes onto God because he can do something for us. And stop looking for people to help you and start looking for God to help you. Does that make sense? In in, uh, Isaiah 222, it says, stop trusting in man who has but breath in his nostril of what account is he? Stop looking for some miracle through some person and start looking for a miracle from God. Well, here's the third spirit that, that comes with the spirit of God is a spirit of counsel. The spirit of counsel. It's, this, is, this is somebody who can plan. Have you ever met somebody? Is there anybody that's a planner? You're good at planning out your future? You think you plan it out step by step? All right, you have a spirit a spirit of counsel. You're a good planner. God made you that way. Some of us aren't good planners at all, all right? We don't have a spirit of counsel, but that's all right. The spirit of counsel is on Jesus. We're in Jesus, so we have the spirit of counsel as well, all right? A spirit of planning. Now, there's people who plan too much. They get their life planned out, and God says, no, that's not really what I had in mind, and he breaks up the plan, and then the planner falls apart, (laughs) We don't want to be that that uh, that strict with our plan. We want God to lay our plans. But here in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, scripture we've heard over and over again. Many non Christians know this scripture. All right, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, "For I know the plans that I have for you." This is God speaking. He knows the plans that He has for you. He has the plan. So if I don't know my plan, that's okay, because God knows my plan. And all I have to do then is follow God and I'll be following his plan. All right. I know the plans for you. uh, I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now you say, well, I really would like to know what plans God has for me. And I would tell you, I think God wants you to know his plan. I think he does. He may not give it all to you, all the details, but generally I think God wants you to know his plan for you. How do I, why do I believe this? Well, in Jeremiah 33, 3, it says, call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and unsearchable or hidden things that you don't know. I did that this week, by the way. I have some uncertainty in my life right now. And I started thinking, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna wait for the uncertainty to hit me in the face. I'm gonna start seeking what God's will is. And I started praying. And I tell you what, I was, there was one night was incredible. God, actually, this is very unusual for me, but he gave me a dream and kind of showed me some things, all right? Call to God, and he's going to show you his plan for your life. Stop walking around in a fog and start saying, God, give me some light here. I want to know your will. That's why Jesus said in, in the Lord's Prayer, pray this way. Your will be done, Lord. Your kingdom come, and you start praying that way, God's going to show you his will for your life. His will for your life. A spirit of counsel is going to come to you. The fourth one, a spirit of strength. A spirit of strength. And as I looked into the meaning of this word, it literally means a spirit of heroic action. A spirit of heroic action. I remember this, this friend of mine that I talked to a long time ago. He had all these heroes in his life. He liked this person. He looked up to that person, looked up to the other person. I, I told this guy, I said, you know what? Stop looking for heroes and start being the hero that you're looking for. You start being a hero. You start exhibiting heroic action and doing what Jesus would do in certain situations. Go be a hero. Go save somebody. Go rescue somebody. Go encourage somebody. Do it this week. God has given you a spirit of strength, a spirit of heroic action that he wants you to do for someone else. All right, so you might say, well, Steve, you told me that the scripture's talking about Jesus is the one that has the spirit resting on him, a spirit of of wisdom, of counsel of strength, all of this. So how can I know if it rests on Jesus? How does that benefit me? What does that do for me? Well, it says in First John 4, 13, it says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. <laughs> if the spirit rests on, rested on Jesus and continues to rest on Jesus, if I'm in him and he's in my heart, His spirit rests on me. I have a spirit of wisdom. I have a spirit of counsel. I have a spirit of strength simply because I'm under the umbrella of Jesus. Under the umbrella of Jesus. Well, it goes on. There's two more spirits, so to speak, that these four come from. All right? If I want a spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, and strength, I need first... To, be, to really strive to have a spirit of knowledge and a spirit of the fear of the Lord. I need these two things desperately, is to know God and to know a fear of God as well. All right, that's where they come from. So let me, let me share with you some really neat scriptures. Don't worry, we're not too much longer. Some neat scriptures about knowing God. No, I want a spirit of the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is going to cover the whole earth as the, the waters of the sea cover, as the waters cover the sea. I want to know God. In Hosea 4, 1. You can jot these down. I believe there's four of them here, and you're going to get a text about them this week as well. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord has a legal case with the inhabitants of the land. Because there's no faithfulness, no steadfast love, no dependability, no loyalty, no kindness or knowledge of God. That personal experience with him. All right, To say that you know God is to have a personal relationship with him. Where he talks to you and you talk to him. You might say, Steve, I never hear from God. I don't know God. When was the last time you talked to God? When was the last time you sat and you listened to God in your spirit, in your soul, and you said, God, I'm turning off the TV, I'm turning off the social media, I'm turning off everything, and I'm going to get quiet with God. I'll tell you what, you get quiet with God, you're going to hear from God. He's going to start talking in your heart. And I've found this to be true. I'd far rather have God talking to my heart than to talking to my ear. Because whatever goes into my heart stays there. It it's remains with me. I don't lose it. The word of God comes into my heart and I keep it forever. It's forever there. God wants to give you a knowledge of who he is. He wants you to know him intimately. And as I was walking and praying this week, finally like our stinking quarantine ended on Thursday. And the first thing that I did was get up at six o'clock and go for a walk with God. God. And started talking. I couldn't, I, we didn't go out into the street. We didn't do anything for five weeks. We've been cooped up. And finally, I got to go talk to God. And I felt him, just his presence. Oh, man, I felt his peace all over me, man. I felt a calmness, man, of knowing God. You have, let me tell you what. If you want to know God, you've got to spend time with God. Three minutes ain't going to cut it. Five minutes isn't going to cut it. You've got to spend time with God. With God, if you're going to know Him, We've got to spend time with God. Here's another uh, scripture: in Hosea two twenty two. He says, "I will betroth you." In other words, I'll we'll get married. I want to be married to God. I want a relationship with Him that's a covenant relationship that lasts forever. He says, "I will betroth you to me." That's cool. I'll marry you to me. <laughs> that's a, a neat way of thinking about it. Instability and in faithfulness. Then you will know and recognize and appreciate the Lord and respond with loving faithfulness. What a scripture here in Hosea 2.22. When you get married to God, you're going to start having stability. You're going to start having faithfulness to, to him. Have you ever been one of these Christians, you're back and forth, up and down, up and down, back and forth. You're not married to God if you're that way. Make a, You say, God, Marry me, make a commitment to me and I will reach out to you in faithfulness and I'm going to start being a stable person. I'm not going to be an up and down person. I'm going to be a stable person. I'll recognize and appreciate God for his, his faithfulness. By the way, faithfulness only comes when there's love. If I didn't love my wife, I would probably be unfaithful to her but my love keeps me faithful to her and same goes with God. If I'm in love with God, I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm going to be faithful to God. Hosea 4.6, uh, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They've rejected knowledge. Your life is going to go down the toilet if you don't know God. And you don't know God until you start spending time with God. So do what you've got to do stop letting yourself get distracted and spend time with God and you'll be faithful to God and then you'll be stable you'll have peace of mind you'll excel in life you'll be successful you'll do the things that God's called you to do Hosea 6:6 says for I desire and delight in steadfast loyalty faithfulness in a covenant relationship rather than sacrifice this is God talking he's saying don't pretend to be religious, don't sacrifice by going to church on Sunday mornings and miss the football game. He said, that's not what I'm looking for. He says, I'm looking for someone who delights in loyalty and faithfulness to me. The Bible says, delight yourself in the the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So what is it to know God? It's to delight in him, to enjoy God to get up. You can't wait to read a cool scripture in the Bible and then come here on Wednesday night and share it with someone else. That's relationship with God. It's not about churchiness. It's not about how short or how long your dress is or if you put makeup on or if you do this or that. No, no. It's about loving God. It's about loving God, enjoying God. Don't get into legalism and Dumb stuff that religion put pumps out, that's not what this is about. It's about loving God, knowing God, spending time with God. And I'll end with this. Just a couple of thoughts about the fear of God. Because all of this kind of rolls up into that. What is the fear of God? It's this. Listen very carefully. I think it's up on the screen here. It's a reverence of God that produces humility. You know how you can know if you fear God? If you're humble. If you're one of these pre people that in, in midweek a rebellious streak rolls, you know, rises up inside of you and you start pushing God away, you don't have a fear of God. Cuz a fear of God will produce humility and you'll stop being rebellious. That's for somebody today. Stop being rebellious. You're cool Sunday and Monday's okay and then Tuesday the rebellion starts popping up again. You need a healthy dose of the fear of God. A healthy dose of the fear of God. Fearing God is caring more about what he thinks than what you think or what other people think. Therefore, you need to get curious about what God's thinking. (laughs) Get curious about what God's thinking. Put your rebelliousness aside. Repent of it and say, God, I want to know what you're thinking. Show me your thoughts. The Bible says his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So let's start picking up on what God is thinking. So how do you get more of the fear of God in your life? By the way, I looked up the word uh, fear in the Hebrew and the Greek. You know what fear means? It means fear. (laughs) Pure fear. Do we need to fear God? You bet you need to fear God. (laughs) You need to fear God. Now, listen to this. Not a fear, listen carefully, not a fear that pushes you away from God, A fear that pulls you towards God. What is it that you need to fear about God? Being separated from God. That's what you need to fear. If you're close to God, you don't need to be... There's nothing to fear. So what do I have as a Christian who's trying to stay close to God? You know what I'm trying to do? I'm a little bit scared of being separated from God. And that that healthy fear is keeping me super, super close... To God's goodness, to God's grace, to God's love, to God's awesomeness. I need, every human being needs a healthy dosage of fear of God. Not fear that pushes you away, full fear that pushes you in. So how do you get this fear of God? In Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5, we've read this before. Uh, you know Solomon, who wrote this, is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, my son, if you accept my words... Think of one verse in the Bible that you know. Maybe it's John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Maybe that's the only verse you know in the whole wide Bible. It says here, accept it then. <laughs> Take it and say, okay, God, you love the world. I believe it. You love me. I believe it. You died for me. I believe it. You don't want the whole world to perish. I believe it. Accept the word of God. Number two, it says, store up my commands within you. Okay, well, maybe you need more than one verse in you. Start pumping just like you'd pump, you know, drink a Coke. All right, drink the Bible. <laughs> get it into your system. Maybe you look at a verse. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. Start storing up the commands within you so that you can get the fear of God. Verse two, turn your ear to wisdom. Stop listening to your dumb friends. Stop listening to your friends that keep getting you into trouble. Turn your way from them away from them and turn it towards God's wisdom and stop being stupid. All right? That's one of the young person's biggest problems. They get around the wrong friends and they make dumb decisions and says, turn away from your dumb friends and turn your ear to wisdom. Applying your heart to understanding. In other words, if you don't understand something in the Bible, try to understand it. Study it. Get it. Turn it around. Ask a godly friend what they think about it. We're 60 seconds from being done. Don't, you know, put your shoes on, but don't get up yet. All right? Indeed, call out for insight. Cry aloud for understanding. Get with God and say, God, I don't understand you. Please show me who you are. I'm sick of being ignorant of who you are. I don't get you, God. Would you show me who you are? Do that and he'll show you who he is. If you look out for look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of God and find the knowledge of him. That's how you get the knowledge of God. That's how you get the fear of God. We need the fear of God. You need it. Don't push away the fear of God. It's good for you. Just like When I my kids were growing up, um, you know, fire—they don't know fire's bad, so obviously they had to burn. Now I didn't get their little fingers and put it in the fire to show them, but they had the opportunity to get burned a couple of times. Then they had a healthy fear of fire. We need a healthy fear of God to pull us in closer to Him. We don't want to be separated from here. Here's the last verse, Jude twenty-three. I'm not missing anything there when I say Jude twenty-three. Jude has one chapter, all right? So this is just one verse, Jude 23, it says, and this is one my dad's spoken of, and it stuck with me. Look at this, save, uh, save others by snatching them from the fire, and, and others, show them mercy mixed with fear. Mercy with, mixed with fear. God is merciful, but let me tell you what, someday, you and I, we're going to pass on, and there ain't going to be any mercy left. There's not going to be any grace left. We have a period in our lives right now. We're living and breathing. We have an opportunity to say, Jesus, come into my life. Come and save me. Please save me. Save me for myself first and foremost because I'm my worst enemy. Help me, God. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you, God. Lord, you've given us a spirit as Christians. You've given us a spirit of wisdom, Lord, of understanding, of counsel, of strength, of the knowledge of God, and of the fear of God, Lord Jesus. God, you've called us to be so much more than what we are, to live so much higher than where we are, to have so much more insight than what we have, Lord God. Lord, I pray for the person who is just naturally rebellious, I being one of those people, (laughs) naturally rebellious, Lord God, we repent of our rebellion towards you. We repent of our dullness towards you. Because we some of us might be saying, well, if God's so loving, why does he allow so much more abuse? And why does he allow hurricanes to destroy whole cities? Lord, Why, if he's so good, Lord God, help us to get away from those idiotic questions and start trying to find out who you really are. Who you really are. Instead of using these questions as excuses, for not knowing God. Lord, help us to have these questions drive us closer to find out who you are, to know who you are, Lord Jesus. And right now, I want to give everybody an opportunity to open your heart towards God. Christians, non-Christians alike, every single person in this place, do you want to know God more? Is there even the slightest little bit of curiosity in you as who God is? And would you open your heart to him right now?